Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode 334 of Charlotte Rears Podcast, Beyond 300. I'm here with co-host Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue, and we've got a great lineup for you today. Yeah, we're going to start with an actually uh, double author feature with co-authors J.C. Sellers and Nicola Darkangelo and their book of Feathers Forest, which is a fantasy novel that arose from the question, what if your bedtime fantasy story turned out to be your family history? Ooh, that sounds good. Um, up next, we have a two-minute tip from Paul Reale from Charlotte Lit. Um, called The Biology of Writing, Part 1, When to Write. Yeah, and then we've got a uh, blog post, uh, P.J. Alexander, author of Dark Innocence, a dark homage to the Wizard of Oz. Uh, His blog is entitled Work in Progress, which explores writing rules and experiences. And then we're going to finish up today with our reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming up in the next episode. But first, what's up with the podcast books? This month, we're celebrating the release of book two in the Write Quote series titled Learning to Write. Yes, we are. We're super excited to share these quotes. They're inspirational. They're practical. There's a lot of good advice in there. Um, We've pulled them from over 500 podcast interviews with hardworking, award-winning, and New York Times bestselling authors in more than 33 U.S. states and five countries. Yeah, and this book reveals how writers really feel about learning to write. Um, if you want to learn more, you can just go to our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, uh, and click on the Podcast Books tab in the menu bar. Um, you can order this book online and in print wherever books are sold. Also, don't forget that the first book in the Write Quote series, um, which is called The Writing Life, can be downloaded for free online. It's the best deal you can find. <laughs> so it's our gift to the writing universe, and you can look for the link for that on the Podcast Books page of our website. Yeah, free is always a great way to sell books. You know, mm-hmm. it's free. And you can also pre order the upcoming books in the series now. Um, when you do, you really help support the podcast. Uh, as we said, we're releasing Learning to Write uh, this this uh, month. Uh, and we're releasing other books uh, on the first of every month uh, between now and October. On, and we're just kind of taking it into progression. Book three is Writing Process and Tools. Book four, Storytelling, Inspiration, and Research. Book five, Writing Techniques and Characters, which I think is the thickest book because that's all the ways you put a book together. Uh, Book six is Writing Community, Revision and Editors. And book seven, uh, The Emotional Writing Journey, which I really enjoy. It's how writers really feel about, really feel about, really feel about writing. (laughs) Really, really, really feel. (laughs) uh, Yeah, how they really feel. And then book eight, Publishing and Book Marketing, uh, which uh, is essential to uh, getting your book out into the world. Yeah, and uh, like I said, the first book, you can download the ebook for free. But if you want to receive all of the books for free, you can join our street team. Um, there's a link on the contact tab in the menu bar at uh, charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can join through there. And also on the podcast books page of the website, there's a link. All you have to do to get all of the books in the series for free is to agree to just leave your short, honest reviews online about the books. You know, just a few words about how you felt about the books, um, maybe something that you took away from them. They're not heavy reads, um, but they are full of weighty tips and reflections and lots of good material in there yes so many good things and don't forget that if you become a patreon supporter of the show for as little as five dollars a month um, we will give you all the books for free before they release and that's in addition to the 150 exclusive interviews that are not normally on the show Um, you'll be able to access on our patreon channel on the craft and business of writing yeah we're really proud of this uh 
a lot of work into it to pull these books together, but it's really uh, the authors who are speaking uh, through these books. Uh, we're not telling you how to write. Uh, we're just sharing all this great, uh, these great reflections and uh, really the, these inspirational thoughts about uh, the writing process and, and the writing life. So check it out. Uh, we love you to be on our street team or be a Patreon supporter or if you don't want to do either one of those, you just want to buy the book and support the podcast, that'd be great too. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300 and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, sararcherwrites.com or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. Okay, here we are with Act One. Um, we've got uh, an author feature, uh, J.C. Sellers and Nicole D'Archangelo. And uh, we had a little technical difficulty when we were recording this. Um, Nicole, we couldn't get through to her. Um, must have been this mysterious world. Uh, something <laughs> happened in the fantasy world that wouldn't let her through the door. Uh, but uh, J.C. stepped up and, and spoke for both of them, and we had a good conversation. The book is titled... A Feather's Force, uh, as I said, it is a fantasy novel that arose from that question, what if your bedtime fantasy story turned out to be your family history? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the co-authors, Sarah. Sure. Uh, J.C. Sellers writes mysteries, thrillers, and fantasy. She's a president of the Queen City Suspects, which is the Charlotte chapter of Sisters in Crime. And Nicole DiArcangelo writes humorous nonfiction travel stories and fantasy. She's also a classically trained actor. Um, both ladies graduated from Coastal Carolina University, which is where they met and began their writing journey. And they sound like a really great team. Um, the book is about after her father's death uh, and under her family coffee shop, Ember discovers a doorway to Espereva, a magical place from her childhood. Not only does she unlock her dormant power, but she learns about her birthplace, a dark realm where her grandfather, the king, steals powers from the inhabitants. Ember must embrace herself to rescue a kidnapped friend because losing someone else isn't an option. That sounds good. All right, there you go. Um, and then, uh, let's see, uh, we've got an author blurb here from Sarah Sanders. says, Sellers and uh, D'Archangelo have created a world that expands possibilities. If you liked Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, and the TV series The Americans, you'll be ready for this adventure. All right, that's all good stuff. Well, uh, I had a fun time uh, interviewing um, JC. Uh, she is part of the, well, she kind of leads up the Queen City Suspects now, which I'm a member of. Um, I love the title of that. It's part of the Sisters in Crime, which they let brothers into now. So uh, I'm, I'm a member of that too. So let's listen to the interview. JC, welcome to Charlotte Rears Podcast. Hi, Landis. Nice to see you <laughs> or hear you. <laughs> yeah, so we, we can hear you and see you. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. you know, best laid plans. We were going to try to have you and your co-author on here, but sometimes the uh, internet uh, universe decides it's got something else in mind. Maybe, maybe something's going on in that fantasy world y'all created. I think so. I think it's. I think I agree. I think it's definitely trying to cross over. <laughs> yeah, something's trying to get uh, get her. But we were going to have Nicole on your your co-author here. So Nicole, if you're listening, so, uh, sorry we couldn't have you, but uh, we miss you. Yeah, we understand it's not your <laughs> fault, but uh, we'll still talk about you anyway. Uh, Anyway, uh, I know you, JC, through the Queen City Suspects, a chapter of the 
sisters in crime. You also let the brothers in crime in too. Thank you for letting me in. But uh, yes, you, you, as, you as their president. And uh, so it's kind of a surprise to me to see that this novel that you've written here, we're going to talk about today with, uh, with Nicole, um, is fantasy and not mystery because you lead your bio with uh, being a mystery writer. And yet uh, here we are with this, uh, not just this one we're going to talk about today, but you've written several books together in this series. So uh, what, what, what gives here? Talk about this uh, love you have for mysteries and fantasy. And is there any connection between the two? Oh, definitely. Sure. So uh, this is definitely, uh, I have two author lives. Um, one is the uh, fantasy author duo uh, with me and Nicole D'Argangelo. And we, um, we have known each other a really long time uh, since college. <laughs> we met in college and have actually uh, been a part of the student newspaper together and have just had a love of writing. And at some point I decided I wanted to write books. I was like, oh, I just want to write books. And I had this idea uh, to write this um, portal fantasy first. And I started down that path. Um, no idea what I was doing, just kind of putting a bunch of words on a page, hoping they make sense to somebody else. And Nicole and I had just had conversations about it um, over months and everything. And she was very interested to read. And so uh, I had passed it along to her to read it. And she really got deep with it. Like it, it became a different um, type of feedback from her. It was very much similar to what you would consider like a developmental editor, but she was falling in love with the characters as much as I was. And so we started talking about these characters like they were friends of ours. Mm. <laughs> and so at some point um, with revisions and conversations and uh, plot lines, timelines, all kinds of things, um, we just had a simple conversation like maybe we should co-author this because we had a lot more ideas than this one book that I started um, and so we spent a lot of time together plotting this out. So did she, did she, st I'm sorry, did she start out as you're kind of reviewing the book at, uh, and giving you feedback and then y'all kind of morphed into this idea that you're going to co-write it? Yes. Yes. That's exactly how it's happened. <laughs> okay. All right. That's interesting. Well, uh, because what, if she, if she, if the internet gods had let her on today, I was going to ask her how she went from, you know, humorous nonfiction writing to fantasy and, I think you just given me the explanation, right? But uh... <laughs> maybe, yeah. She she has this passion for uh, for writing and fantasy, and um, and it's it's fascinating because they, I think, even through the revision, feedback, whatever process we that was for us, uh, we really learned each other's strengths um, and and weaknesses, and we're able to balance a lot of this work together. Uh, and so the original, original book, I guess, that she read is not the same one at all. I mean, it, it even came down to the main character's name changed, all the things. So, yeah, all the things changed. All right. Well, uh, I noticed that, uh, you know, you've got more than one book. But we're going to be focusing on uh, a, a Feather's Force. And yes. the uh, we're going to talk a bit more about how you co-authored uh, this book, Uh and how that actually works. But uh, first of all, let's dive into the book a little bit. Uh, it's a, 
It's a fantasy novel. Your tagline is, you know, what if your bedtime fantasy story turned out to be your family history? So uh, let's kind of start there. Where did this idea come from? So I think the idea for this really came from a couple different places. And uh, a lot of the stories I end up writing, uh, whether it's for fantasy or mystery and thriller, I really like to write about places I'm familiar with. Um, and so this one started in a coffee shop. And I really liked the idea of the mysteries and the magic behind um, a coffee shop that has books. And so I kind of just went that direction with it and had my main character stumble upon a door in the basement of this coffee shop. And through the door, she entered a realm of uh, familiar, familiarity, is that a word? <laughs> but she entered a realm that she was familiar with in a, in a, in a way where she had always been told these um, uh, family stories and bedtime stories from her father. And she realized that those stories existed on the other side of that door. And I mean, I grew up honestly with my father telling me lots of stories of, of things. And I feel like some of that just kind of came together in, in the idea of this too. And I, I think that the fantasy world itself, I mean, you can have it go so many places and it can be so big and so vast, but we do put um, limitations on our world. We put limitations on our characters because otherwise it's just like anything goes. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey just getting into that. And I mean, I think that's where Nicole and I really have come together on this uh, story is that we've been able to kind of create it together as we go. And so she's, even though that originally some of this inspiration may have like been ignited by some of the things that I came up with, she's been able to infuse a lot of herself into these stories and these characters as well. And so sometimes you hear about authors who uh, have Easter eggs in books. And so I feel like we have these types of little nuggets in our books um, that really are, you know, sharing a little bit more of ourselves uh, in our lives and maybe pieces of um, pieces of us are in the books and the characters. Yeah, well, it has sort of a line, witch and wardrobe feel to it because you're going through this door into this fantasy world a little bit. And, uh, and so let's talk a little bit about the creatures that occupy mm -hmm. this world and some of their magical powers. Yeah, of course. And it's funny you say uh, Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe. Uh, Nicole actually came up with our pitch. Uh, so it is, uh, what if uh, the X-Men visit Narnia to rebuild Hogwarts? Okay. That's a real brain twister there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's, yes, it's it's perfect. I think it's it's got a lot... Um, to say for it. So if you think about the, I mean, if, if people are, you know, familiar with X-Men and Marvel and things like that, you've got these um, characters uh, who have abilities. And so our characters in our realm have abilities. They're, uh, they're called traits. And what they are, are they're really just these, um, I mean, you could call them magical abilities, but they are linked to their, uh, their genes and they're linked to their emotions. And there's different abilities um, for the different characters. And so some might have um, like 
super speed, some might have um, the manipulation of water, some might have the manipulation of fire, um, but they, they each have, most of them have abilities um, in that realm. Mm. And it's signified by when they were born, they had a little mark um, behind their ear. And then as they, they do have to mature into their abilities so they can use them. Um, and they do train and I mean, it's, it, they have to learn how to use them. So they train, mm -hmm. they go to school type stuff. And, um, and then when they're fully matured, um, then they, they have this really almost like a, like a, they have this markings on them, kind of like a tattoo. And so it signifies what the ability is mm -hmm. and they use their abilities, not just, it's not just for fun. I mean, they use them as a, a part of themselves to get through like their day-to-day -day life. Um, and so they're using them in different ways. I'd like to talk just a little bit about the protagonist and the antagonist. Uh, you know, you've got a young woman here who finds out early in the book that her father has died and uh, the stories she's been told by him at bedtime might have something to do with the, what she's discovering about this new world that's on the other side of this door um, and sort of when she finds that out, what is it that she is, uh, searching for, you know, cause every, every character's right. It's got to have some motivation, right? Uh, and then there's going to be conflict. We're going to talk about that in a second with the antagonist, but what is she searching for when she goes through that door? So, um, so our main character, Ember, she is, um, yes, a young girl. So she's 16 years old. Um, and as you said, she lost her father. So she's really going through this, um, period of grieving and she's um trying to find herself it's it's turned uh where this first book is definitely more of a coming of age story but also um like a found family um because what you know she loses somebody so close to her and so important to her and her inspiration that she's not going to stop trying to find um, out more about herself and more about her own uh, background and history. And so going through the door into this other realm and learning that that was part of her bedtime stories that her father told her really makes it just all the more real that she has more questions and needs to seek more mm -hmm. answers. Okay. And she's also got found powers that she's coming to terms with as well. So. Uh, yes, but the antagonist, yes. talk about, talk about the evil King a minute. So, Oh boy. So this, this kind of, I don't want to get into spoilers, but <laughs> so <laughs> there's, um, you know, this, this really is about her, uh, about Ember's family and she's finding out that there's lots of connections for her, um, not just with her father, but the, just with some of the other, um, inhabitants in the other realm and how they know, um, they know of Ember, they know who her father was and that what um, her father even was trying to help save the realm uh, from the evil king. And because the evil king is um, really trying to steal these powers that these um, affinities have, because he's learned that having the more power is going to make him not just stronger, but he's, you know, taking it away from those inhabitants. So they can't, I mean, they can't fight back. They can't, um, they're just going to have to, you know, follow along and listen to him. And so he's taking all their power, um, for himself. And so he's, 
just greedy. <laughs> I mean, and um, Ember, when she does stumble upon uh, one of the guilds, um, they're in hiding. So they're trying to hide from the evil king. He's got these, um, I guess they're, I guess they're kind of like henchmen, but I, I, I've always said they're kind of like ogres. And so these ogres, um, they're called, um, let me see if I can say Cobalt. I can't even say it right. <laughs> Koboloi. So he has these um, Koboloi uh, ogre type creatures that work for the king and they're trying to find affinities and they're trying to um, bring them in so they can steal the power from them. When you were writing this, um, the two of you, were y'all thinking about any uh, themes that you wanted to have, uh, you, you know, come out of this that might relate to the real world, real life? Because you, you've obviously got good and evil. You've got this idea of stealing powers, physical yep. powers, subjugating people, you know, that kind of thing. Were you thinking about that or did they percolate up? And if they did, which ones sort of percolated up the most? It's funny. We, I, I knew that the good and evil theme was definitely prevalent through the story um and it's gonna it's gonna be through the whole series um but each so each book is actually told in a different character's voice and so each book will have a different theme based on who that character is and so embers specifically kind of evolved so it was a coming of age story but it more or less evolved into this family um and what family means um because family is not always um, you know, a direct blood relation family is also like, you know, close friends or chosen family. So that's kind of what evolved. And that's what I consider Nicole in my life is she's my chosen family. Um, because when we write this together, I mean, you know, we're definitely in a relationship and a commitment for the series. <laughs> All right. We're going to come back and talk about co-authoring, but first you've got a little reading for us. This is Charlotte's oh. podcast where authors give voice to the written words. So, uh, why don't you set up this scene and uh, then just uh, take it away? All right. So this is um, probably um, in the point where Ember has um, going through the door uh, into the realm the second time. And so she's she's already been through the door once um, and came back. And now she's even more curious, has way more questions. And so she's going back through. Darkness consumed the basement more than before. The door itself was silent, as if dozing. I came closer to wake it up. My arm prickled with pins and needles. At the same time, something pinged a muscle in my back. Intense energy shivered through my already tight spine. My wrist stung. With a twitch, I struck a nearby book pile, which toppled all over the floor. The design on my arm didn't stay still. It scorched toward my shoulder, then cooled. I sucked in a short breath of relief. I fumbled with my necklace. Once I inserted the key again, another fragment of energy vibrated through my veins. The lock popped. I hesitated long enough, then opened the door to Espereva to find answers. The forest remained quiet, except for distant songs of birds. Pungent mulch entered my senses. I stepped over the threshold into the forest, letting the door close and fade into the tree behind me as I before. There was no turning back now. An eeriness washed through my brain. Goosebumps emerged from my skin. With a bright and full moon, shadows filled the still forest while gray clouds streaked across the sky. Each step came with hesitation. The hair stood on my arms. I didn't want the koboloi to find me again. 
Maybe Marn would find me wandering, but it was doubtful because I left him behind. I voided the direction of the abandoned village. A shift in the wind tensed my legs. I proceeded with caution, trying to find any sign of other affinities. My trait heated up, and I believed it was more ready than me to attack any koboloi. The rustle of leaves ahead forced me to duck behind bushes. Leaves moved behind me. I lowered my body. Branches snagged my hair, but I remained still. Heavy footsteps walked briskly nearby, and voices mumbled. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, just sort of put us in that world. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm also thinking about that upside down world uh, of Stranger Things a little bit here. <laughs> you know, yeah, this one's not, this one's, this one is, um, yeah, it dark. has its moments. It has its dark moments, but I, I want to say that yeah. that world, the upside down world is yeah. way scarier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about co-authoring just a moment. Um, because it's an interesting idea. I've had a couple of authors on before who've done it, and uh, everybody probably does it differently, but uh, I think uh, listeners might be interested to know how that works. Uh, just the practical nuts and bolts of it. Um, how did you do this uh, from the practical side of it, deadlines, writing tools, uh, revision, feedback, proofing? How, how did it work? Uh, the collaboration has... Um has been very, I guess, um, made through um, pushing each other, <laughs> I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, so we technically we uh, share everything um, on Google Docs. And so we have drive, we have one, we have a drive and we share everything through there. So um, what we end up doing is we, we do uh, live in two different uh, states. And that does kind of create this uh, distance and this, um, you know, absence, you know, makes the heart grow fonder type situation. So <laughs> when we connect, we talk very often, uh, mostly talking about the books and the characters and what we're moving forward. Um, but we kind of started because we were writing our fourth book right now, we've kind of gotten into this um, outlining um piece. So we talk about what we're going, like, this just the overall plot. This is the overall plot of the book. Um, and then we just kind of write it in segments and write in different chapters. And so she writes a chapter, I write a chapter, and then we kind of start to put it all together. Um, and sometimes I do a, what, what has worked is sometimes I do like a skeleton draft. So it's just like, Ember goes here, Ember goes there, and then she runs into this and she runs into that. And it's just this whole like really um, lightweight draft that doesn't really have a lot of um, really anything like as far as adjectives or description or maybe, maybe some dialogue. And then Nicole, so like if I do a first layer, Nicole will come in and do the second layer and I go back and do the third. And so we kind of start to like write through the layers of the story together. Um, most... I mean, since we've been doing this a while, it's turned into where we each know our strengths. And so we work towards that. I don't know if that's helped so, answer the question. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so do you, do you both write on the same point of view? And if you do, how do you marry up your different writing styles? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. So we, the first three books are one character's POV. Um, and we 
I don't even know, honestly, I feel like it's turned, I feel like we, we talk so often that we become one person when we write and we have, we have conversations talking about the character and like the character's, um, voice is really important to us to know that, um, Ember is a 16 year old girl and there's certain vocabulary words or certain ways that she has dialogue that a 16 year old girl would or wouldn't do. Uh, so we have to really kind of go through that process of checking ourselves and, um, revising as we go too. So, um, but what's worked for us is that we each kind of take certain scenes and work on those scenes. And then we kind of swap scenes and start to put them together that way. Well, I, I had a couple of authors on who wrote a fantasy trilogy together and they said that uh, everything was open season for each other to edit each other. Do y'all do the same thing? We do. We do. We don't. Um, I don't think we like get our heart set on any sort of like words or scenes or any of that stuff. So if it, I've written lots of scenes that get cut because Nicole says this doesn't fit <laughs> and I'm fine with it. <laughs> and so we all, we, and then same thing with her as she writes something and I'm like, no, nah, this isn't going to work for this. And so we have to just compromise on a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but we, good. we don't delete completely. We do put them in the darlings folder. <laughs> okay. The darlings folder. Get it. Yep. Uh, so, so um, it sounds like it's a lot of fun to, to co-write and that you've had a great experience. You've written, uh, the series, three or four books already. And uh, what kind of advice uh, would you give to other authors uh, who are thinking about co-authoring? I would definitely. So because Nicole and I are virtual for most of the process, I do recommend um, meeting with that person, you know, in person, or at least having time spent where you are, not just having a writing session, but you're talking about the world or you're talking about the story and you're taking the time to go through the mechanics of it in the sense of your timeline, your character bios. Um, something that helps us is uh, having visuals, uh, maps, not things that necessarily get published in the book, but just, um, you know, a sketch of this building and what room is what. So at least we're all on the same, you know, page. Um, so we have a lot of um, resources or documents for ourselves to help us write better and um, know what the world is going to have. Um, and then talking a lot, but having um, not having an ego when you go into it, <laughs> I think is a, is an important thing to have. Um, now, you, now you've written books by yourself, uh, mm -hmm. obviously. And uh in, in the mystery world. And, and I'm just curious, has this experience of co-writing, do you think it's made you a better writer? And if so, why? I think, I think writing is one of those um, things that you always improve upon the craft, the more you write and they, you know, they, they, you hear write every day or write as often as possible. But I think that you also need to have that trusted circle of, um, critique partners that will give you really good raw feedback about your writing. And I think Nicole is very honest, very direct. I'm the same with her and that helps us. And then we pass it on to a couple beta readers. Um, so that's our process. But from myself, I have that, 
I, I feel that I have to take same thing. I le- I don't have an ego about it. Um, if there's, even though I might have loved this writing, this scene, it might not fit in the book. <laughs> I have to be okay with that. And if I hear it from, you know, more than two people, then I know that's probably something I need to consider cutting. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's helped me a lot. That's great. All right. So we wrap up here. This is a question I ask, uh, many writers, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value uh, that had you known it at the time, it might have helped you as that younger writer based on everything you've learned since then, what would it be? Take the time to outline. (laughs) That's mine. I I would definitely need to take better time to outline. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Well, uh, quickly tell our listeners about the Queen City Suspects and and the uh, Sisters in Crime. Oh, of course. So uh, the Sisters in Crime um, is a national um, organization that has chapters in lots of different cities. Uh, There's even a virtual chapter. Um, And here in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have the Queen City Suspects chapter. Uh, We meet virtually and we meet in person and we talk about all the things writing related, craft, um, author platforms, marketing, um, you know, anything having to do with maybe critiquing each other. And in addition, we have guest speakers that come in and teach us amazing things about writing to help us stay inspired as we go down this journey. It's a yeah, great group. So yeah. yeah, listeners, you can, and you can join, even if you're not a sister, you can be a brother yep. and join. So, you know, that's great. Well, JC, thanks so much for uh, uh, coming to us today. Sorry we couldn't get the internet to help us uh, with Nicole, but uh, she's here in spirit, uh, yes. and uh, we appreciate her being here with us that way. And so thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. You can subscribe to Charlotte Reader's Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms, and the best part is it's free. Oh, and if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review, because when you do, we travel much farther and wider in podcast land. Right, here we are with Act 2. Uh, this is our writing topics uh, with uh, Charlotte Litt uh, and our community blog. Um, we have a, a tip from Paul Reale this week. Uh, it's the biology of writing, part one, when to write. Uh, let's listen in, and then we'll have a few comments about what Paul has to say. Hi, I'm Paul Reale, co-founder of Charlotte Lit, with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is the first of three tips about what I call the biology of writing. Today, we'll talk about when in the day you write. It's common advice to the time-challenged writer to put your writing time on your calendar because what gets scheduled tends to get done. I agree, but what this bit of advice leaves out is any thought of how to make that placement. It essentially suggests that you allow your schedule to dictate where your writing slot is, placing it as you would any meeting or appointment. An example of this in action is, if you get a lunch hour at work, instead of going to lunch or working through lunch, write for an hour. But what if your creative brain is not at its best when shoehorned into the middle of a workday? Here's a parallel example. I'm starting to develop a daily yoga practice, and to make sure I do it every day, I roll out the mat first thing, just a few minutes after I rise. That is almost certainly the worst time of day for my naturally inflexible body to do yoga. Later in the day, when my muscles are warm, the workout is much more effective. But this is what happens if I let my schedule determine when to do something instead of my biology. And so it is with writing as well. 
there is very likely an optimal time for your biology that has nothing to do with the other items on your schedule. There's plenty of science on this, but I don't need to quote it to you. You know there are better and worse times of day for your creative brain. So here are your action steps. First, try to find the time of day or times of day when your brain is at its most fluid, flexible, and creative. Second, look for ways to rearrange your day to put some writing time into those optimal periods. This might require additional creativity, changing your work hours, say, or getting help from a supportive partner, maybe changing your sleep schedule, but I think you'll find that the creative output you get from this makes it worth it. For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. I guess as I'm listening, I'm thinking about, uh, folks, we are early recording today because we're trying to get a bunch of recordings uh, done. And I think maybe the biology of us as podcasters is not 8 a.m. <laughs> if y'all can, if y'all can yeah. hear the outtakes, are going to have to happen here. And uh, some of the miscues and some of the things we said that uh, were inadvertent. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's not the right time of day. Uh, I, I, I did learn today that... Uh, uh, Hannah was also named Sarah, which would have been a difficult thing for this podcast. <laughs> I really would have had it. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah, and Landis. That, that, that would have made the 8 a.m. even more. Sarah, like Sarah who? I couldn't. Hear. All right, well, let's talk about this biology who writing stuff, I? Sarah. Uh, you know, Paul's kind of leading us to, you know, sort of letting our bodies and our psyches choose for us rather than choosing based upon works, what works best for our schedule. Yeah, I think that it's a really smart and practical tip to kind of think about what actually is honestly best for you in terms of when you can be creative and when your brain is sort of most, you know, fired up and ready to go. Um, I, I do think that for a lot of people, the unfortunate thing is that may not always line up with the reality of your life and, and when you're able to write. Um, and I think he gave some good tips about that, about like, you know, can you work with your work schedule or your partner or changing your sleep schedule or what can you do to make that writing time best for yourself but sometimes you just have to work with what you've got and like I find for me I think actually biologically my best writing time is probably at night that's when I feel most awake and most creative I've just always been a night owl but I do think that in practical terms I actually function better if I can get some writing done early in the day because I'm just more likely to actually get it done if I make it a priority first thing um, and then I also just, I think, feel better as I go through my day, knowing that I've gotten some writing done early on, as opposed to if I push it off till the end of the night, then I feel like I'm not really accomplishing anything. Um, so yeah, sometimes the, the, the biology and the reality of your schedule may not line up, but if you can try to make them work, I think that's a really good idea. Well, you mentioned sleep schedule. That's not something you're, um, having to deal with right now hannah is it sleep schedules <laughs> uh gosh yeah i know i so it's so funny listening to this now versus before i had gone is probably two different <laughs> things because now i'm like forced yeah. to be a morning person right like like almost this morning i almost yeah. got up at like started the day at like 4 50 because i was like you know i'm awake right now like i'm doing whatever i'm doing with gwen like why not um but historically i've always been like a night person kind of similar to you sarah where it's just like i sort of naturally gravitate towards like doing things at night um but the same kind of idea where i feel like if i do get a lot done like today i'm gonna feel amazing by like noon <laughs> like we're doing we're doing all, this, all, all right. these recordings this morning you know but now I'll, I'll feel really good about that um but I, I feel like for whatever reason it's just like 
the nighttime, the, the dim lighting, the like, you know, TV yeah. in the background. Like, that's a great, that's super, I don't know, just makes me feel more creative, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking about this as I'm thinking about uh, Janet and I've decided while we're selling our house and buying a condo near our grandchild in Durham and trying to downsize in Charlotte and maybe renting, we're going to end up in the same room with an office. And I'm wondering how that's going to work, you know, when I'm writing and she's writing and we're there and I'm there and she's there. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I'll be on the porch or something or she will. or I, what it, But I do think uh, time of day is an important aspect too, not just where you write, but, uh, uh, but I think it's an evolution. I think you, um, some, depending on what's going on in your life, um, you know, the Marines had a saying, uh, adapt, improvise, and overcome. You know, I think our office manager used that when we had a major move <laughs> in our law office one year when all the lawyers are complaining. He said, look, just, you know, adapt, improvise, overcome, you know. And you could apply that to your writing, too. I mean, things are going to happen. You know, you're not going to have the schedule you want to have. Well, adapt, you know. And then improvise, come up with something creative, overcome this obstacle, and uh, and get it out there. So I don't know why I brought the Marines into this, but there you uh, go. You know, they do good work. <laughs> Thank so. you for your service. I like that quote. <laughs> there. Mitch, you want them on your side, you know. If, do if good work. you don't want them against you, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so uh, let's do this. Um, thanks, Paul, for that uh, good good tip. We're gonna um, come back with our community blog post in just a second. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, uh, we got a community blog post from PJ Alexander, and just let me just remind folks uh, that, uh, you know, this is open to authors to submit their blogs and add to our community blog uh, topic on writing or marketing uh, books, uh, 750 words or less. And if we accept the blog, um, we'll have you record the audio, put you on the uh, website and talk about you, but, and which is what we're going to do right now. Um, tell us about uh, PJ, Sarah. Uh, yeah. So PJ says he couldn't imagine life without reading and writing. He finally took the plunge into indie publishing in 2022, and he's loving every minute of it. Um, his favorite stories to write are character-driven fantasies, which feature some dark undertones with plenty of snark mixed in. He lives, loves the idea of his books bringing a little magic to a reader's life. Um, when he's not reading, he's on the hunt for chocolate. Same here. Um, <laughs> introverting, also same here. <laughs> or wishing for a snowy day by the fireplace. Um, I've had the pleasure of beta reading PJ's novel, Dark Innocence, uh, when it was in the manuscript stage. And it's I definitely recommend it for any fantasy fans out there. It's a great read. I love how we have synergy by accident sometimes yeah. in this podcast. We have mm -hmm. JC's book and uh, and her, her writing partner's book. And then we've got PJ and what he's writing. Um, and, uh, and, uh, a lot of fantasy. I, love, I didn't really, you, know, you, you think of uh, camping, hiking. I haven't heard of introverts before. You know, <laughs> you think about this as an activity. An indoorsman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He is a real rough and tumble indoorsman, right? Yeah. Uh, I like that, though. Intr I, like I like to go introverting. actively yeah, so, wishing uh, for a snowy day by the fireplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, so the title of the blog post is Work in Progress, uh, which explores writing rules and experiences. Let's hear what uh, PJ has to say. Work in Progress by PJ Alexander. Work in Progress is a phrase writers throw around a lot. 
we talk about our WIP and ask other writers about their WIPs. Sometimes I think about the implication of that phrase, that a work in progress will someday transform into simply a work, a finished product. But is that really true? When we purchase a book, it's easy to think of it as a finished work. We presume the book has gone through countless drafts and professional editing and was ultimately deemed complete and ready to be published for public consumption. But talking with authors in my circle and having written several books myself, I've come to believe the idiom that a piece of art is never finished, but merely abandoned. The truth behind that idiom is painfully obvious every time I finish writing a book, a finality that feels more like a surrender, a whimpering defeat in the final battle of a war of attrition. The book is perfect in my imagination, so why isn't it perfect on the page? Every book, no matter what stage it's in, is a work in progress. I first realized this when I started trading beta reads with other writers. I discovered that there's no such thing as a bad book. Some books might be further in their development than others, but every book has the potential to become great. I also realized that books aren't the only things that are perpetual works in progress. Authors themselves are works in progress. We get better with every book we write. I don't think it's imposter syndrome when even accomplished writers confess to a continual learning process and admit that they are nowhere near masters of their craft. Improving as a writer seems to be a lifelong pursuit. Some lessons can only be learned the hard way, even the obvious ones we see repeated in craft books and blogs and memes. During my author journey, it's been my experiences, particularly my struggles, that have shaped me and helped me improve. As a work in progress, I've learned that the essential ingredients for growing as a writer are reading a lot and writing a lot. I repeat that like a mantra anytime a newer writer asks me for advice. I've learned through experience that writing has no rules, only tools. That's not to say there isn't a craft to writing. There certainly is. But it's not about following rules or conforming to structures. It's about understanding a variety of methods to achieve a goal and developing the skill and instinct to mix and match those methods for a particular story. Just like a sculptor or a mechanic or any other kind of specialist, the more tools an author has at their disposal, the more effectively they can hone their craft. On my journey, I've learned that first drafts are bad, really bad. And more importantly, they're bad for a reason. We've heard many times, write drunk and edit sober. The foundation must be built first, like filling a sandbox with sand. Writing without inhibition, allowing stream of consciousness to lead the way, is crucial to the creative process. If we aren't pouring our feelings, our passion, and our very souls into our writing, why are we even bothering? Draft first, edit later. The second draft I've discovered is like magic. Sandcastles start to take shape. Symbolism emerges and themes arise that I never imagined during the brainstorming stage. Characters come to life and grow all on their own. And that weird sense of author pride for our little creations comes to the surface. These are all parts of a work in progress. Most importantly, I've learned to stay true to myself. 
We all have different goals as writers, maybe to break into traditional publishing, make a bestseller list, or like me, to follow our passion and write the stories burning in our hearts. I've learned not to lose faith in my work in progress as the months of hard work take their toll. When the shiny new idea that sparked our book doesn't seem so shiny and new anymore, we must always remember that our work has value. We must keep our eyes on the prize. Although I've learned a lot on my author journey, I have a lot more learning to do. I'm happy where I am as a writer today. I'd love to be better, but that's okay. I am, after all, a work in progress. Well, we are all works in mm -hmm. progress, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier. Uh, uh, when we talked about uh, the Learning to Write book that's out this month. Uh, learning to Write is about uh, reading and writing and practicing and doing, and he's talking a lot about that. Uh, Sarah, you said you had an opportunity to to do some uh, beta reading of his books and provide some feedback. Sounds like he's uh, he might be the kind of person that would uh, receive feedback uh, well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he really practices what he preaches there. And I know he's he's a writer who is willing to do the work and to write a lot of drafts. And um, I think this his first book is actually going to be part of a series. And so he's already working on other books in the series as well. So he, he puts in the time and he puts in the work and he's willing to make significant changes from draft to draft, which is really hard to do. But I think it's sometimes what kind of separates people who just sort of want to dabble in writing from the people who are able to really get published and be consistent with it. Um, but yeah, there's so much good stuff there that he talked about. I, I really like the idea of um, not just the work itself as a work in progress, but thinking of yourself as a writer as a work in progress. And almost like every new project you do is a new draft of your writing life, I guess. <laughs> um, and you can get better as you go. I, I think that that's, that's true. And that's a good way of looking at it and kind of having that patience with yourself to know that you're, you're learning and you're going to improve over time the same way that when you write that first draft, you might feel like, what is this? Like, this is not at all what I imagined. This is terrible. But you just have to keep, you know, doing more drafts and revising and getting those notes and it'll get there. Yeah, there's a lot of good advice in here. Um, and Hannah, I often shift to the marking side when I turn a question to you, but when he says no rules, only tools, does that apply in marketing as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's, I love the way he said that <laughs> too. <laughs> like, there aren't really any rules. I don't, I mean, well, I guess for, I feel like in this episode specifically, I've kind of given an insight into my like psyche a little bit. I'm like rules, who needs them? Like, uh, you know, um, but no, I, I think that totally makes sense. And especially I think when it comes to writing drafts or, you know, you, when you're sort of putting everything together, you can't really like when you first start writing something, I don't think you can look at a bunch of like technical rules and be like, I have to follow this exact blueprint. Right. It's like you kind of have to do what feels right to you creatively and the same kind of thing with marketing for sure and if you're like sharing your work and you're just sort of thinking okay well here is the strategy that um very specifically step one i do this step two i put it it's there it really isn't like that because every book is different and every writer is different so i feel like if you walk into the publicity process and you're just like Let's let's just look at this specific project and just think big. I don't know. I've, I've always had big ideas, and I think you kind of have to think that way if you really want to get your work out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely true. I think he had a lot of good nuggets in this one. Yeah. I think I would tweak. Uh, I like that statement, but I would tweak it uh, instead of no rules, only tools. I, I might tweak it to say that rules can become yeah. tools. You know, they're not every – not every tool in your toolbox is a tool you're going to use. 
uh, with everything that you build or tear up. Um, and the same is true with writing. Um, but I think if you n know what tools are available to you and you can choose to use them, they sort of become second nature to the process of constructing whatever you're putting together. Um, then I, th I mean, like point of view, for example, it's nice to know that rule, right? <laughs> it's nice to know that uh, you don't want to be jumping around in a bunch of heads, but you want to kind of ground the reader in someone, because uh, as Clyde Edgerton said in one of our quote books, he says, the reader won't understand point of view, but they'll get an uneasy feeling in their stomach when you do something that doesn't, doesn't follow that particular rule. So, you know, it's, it's just that kind of thing. And I think uh, PJ's right. I, I like what I, I echo Sarah's comment that I like the idea that an author is a work in progress as well. We're all works in progress. I've heard that from the best-selling authors we've had on this podcast that uh, they continue to learn. They continue to, to read and uh, write. And that's what makes them, I mean, that's why they're creative people. They're always trying new things. So great, uh, great blog post. Thanks, PJ, for uh, sharing. And thanks for submitting to uh, Sarah's uh, feedback uh, on your and your critiques there because she's a good one with that. Uh, in fact, she's going to talk about uh, in one of our upcoming episodes the art of receiving feedback. So we'll hear her perspective on that. She's uh, a very empathetic person when it comes to giving uh, and receiving. Sweetie. So there you go. I try. Uh, all right. So uh, Sarah Fan Club. Gonna, quick message here and. Yeah. Quick message here, and we'll be right back with uh, a few book recommendations and what's coming next. Charlotte Readers Podcast is on social media, and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Readers Podcast. Check us out. All right, we're in Act 3, book recommendations. Uh, it's uh, now time for the host and Mark West to share some thoughts. You don't have to take notes. We'll put these in the uh, in the show notes so that you can get them and I think the uh, newsletter as well. So Sarah, what you got to recommend today? Um, so today I'm recommending a poetry collection um, called What the Living Do by Marie Howe. Um, I've been reading some poetry recommendations and trying or poetry collections and trying to recommend them lately. I, I've always had a love for poetry. This is one that came out, I think, in the 90s. It's been out for a little while now. Um, it was inspired by the death of her brother from AIDS. So it's it's very dark. It's very personal. It goes to some really emotional places, but it's just really beautifully written. I also find that um, Howe's poetry is very accessible. I think a lot of people kind of get turned off from poetry because they read it and they're like, what the heck was this? Like, it, they just, it doesn't really give give them anything. And I think her poetry, while it's layered and there's a lot of meaning there and it, you can definitely read her poems multiple times and get more and more out of them and, and draw a lot from them. And she does some very careful things with the language. It's still, um, it's not opaque. It's not something where you read and you just feel like the writer is trying to be fancy for the sake of being fancy. So um, her work is very, it's thoughtful, but it's still readable. Um, I've had the pleasure of hearing her read in person a couple of different times, and she's just an amazing writer. I, I think, Hannah, you, you mentioned that you were looking to get into some more poetry, so yes. I definitely recommend her work. She's I wonderful. Will. Love a good emotional journey. Some evening <laughs> reading, like 3 a.m. Oh in the God, morning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, Hannah, what you got for us this week? My dogs are trying to share their recommendations right now in the background. 
um, <laughs> today I'm recommending Euphoria by Lily King, which uh, I read Writers and Lovers recently, and then I was talking about it with someone, and she had told me that Euphoria is definitely just like one of her favorite books ever, and um, it's really good. It's different. It's kind of hard to explain in a way. It's um, about a uh, British anthropologist. Um, going to New Guinea, I believe it was. And so she kind of is there studying a tribe and um, all these ancient rocks and history and all this good stuff. And she, or um, I guess that they, it's, it's kind of like a, an intellectual threesome love story, which sounds weird. <laughs> it's kind of like hard to explain. I'm like, it's not what you would expect though, as far as like as a romantic novel. It's, it's, it's really interesting, but it's really well written. I think Lily King is a really good writer. Um, she's really good at character driven stories so just kind of similar to Sally Rooney in a way if you like her work but um, it's it's really good you learn a lot about New Guinea that's always good <laughs> there's an Australian character I mean it's it's a good story it's just a little bit it's a little bit different so if you like offbeat fiction <laughs> do that <laughs> all right sounds good well um, I'm recommending uh, this week Lost and Found uh, it was just released as part of the personal story publishing project by Randall Jones. If uh, y'all been following Randall, he's put together these uh, great uh, collections of uh, writers uh, contributing stories of 750 to 800 words uh, or less and uh, uh, draws from North Carolina, the South, up into Kentucky. Uh, a lot of writers who've been members of the Charlotte Writers Club, Charlotte Lit, uh, around the state have been a part of some of these. Um, I've actually got a piece uh, in this this one that's coming out, Lost and Found, um, I wrote about uh, submitting my application to go inactive as an attorney after uh, 35 years and uh, on the way to the mailbox to deliver my application. By the way, the law is the only profession, I think, that you have to apply to get in and apply to get out. So, you know, it's uh, one of those crazy things. And when I thought about that, I said, I got to write about this. You got to apply to get in, you got to apply to get out. Uh, so it was like... Uh, Lost and found, but I went to the the theme of it was kind of like you know, had a bar number, and the bar number was one 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 three four, and it pretty much defined me for my most of my life. And I was thinking, this is kind of like that lay Miz thing, you know, the number. It's like a prisoner, you know. <laughs> I've been in this thing for like thirty five years. Now I'm going to finally get out. But then what? What do I do next? Yeah. So anyway, uh, it, but there are a lot of great stories uh, in in there. Uh, so check it out. Plus, if you're a writer, um, you've got another call to action coming. He does these uh, calls to action about every four to five months now. And uh, the next one uh, is going to be up. Just go to his website um, at uh, randalljones.com. And the theme, I love this theme, sooner or later. So if you've got a thought to write something about the theme sooner or later, uh, 750, 800 words, submit it. Uh, you might get in the next uh, publication. All right, let's see what Mark West has to say about uh, – his recommendation this week. Hello, this is Mark West with the Storied Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is the official exhibition catalog for the Mint Museum's Picasso exhibit. The catalog is titled Picasso Landscapes and it's edited by Lawrence Madeline. This catalog of course, covers all of the paintings that are included in the exhibition, but it also goes beyond that, provides interesting background information about these paintings and provides insights into this aspect of 
Picasso's career as an artist. If you saw the exhibit, well, then the catalog will be a nice reminder of your experience. And if you were not able to see the exhibit, well, then you can kind of uh, get a sense of it by reading this catalog. I highly recommend it. It's a great resource. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark, for that uh, recommendation. We appreciate it. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Charlotte's Podcast. Uh, Sarah, can you tell our listeners what's coming next? Yeah, next time we've got a great author feature with Marjorie Hudson in her novel Indigo Field, which New York Times bestselling author Sue Monk Kidd calls a mesmerizing story of loss and justice and revenge conspiring to darken the human heart. Um, We also are going to feature a blog post that I wrote about the art of receiving feedback. And as usual, we're going to have a thought-provoking Charlotte two-minute tip, plus some elevator pitches and book recommendations. All right, uh, Hannah, you want to take us out of here? All right, guys, you know the drill. <laughs> Just read on, write on, rock on out of here. <laughs> Get some <All> coffee. Right. <laughs>